Hi, everybody, and thanks again for joining us for the adventure of being a dad through the good and the bad. My name is Matt Chapkis. I'm your host, and again, joining me here today, we've got two of our three expert, experts on this subject, Bob Record, once again. Bob, welcome. Thanks for joining us again. And Ken Thank McClinton as well. Ken, thanks so much for being here with us again this week to talk about this important subject. Thank you so much. Guys, we're going to talk about what kids need most in a dad today. Last last episode, the first two episodes, we talked with you two, and then we talked with Jeff, and we just kind of established what a father wound is. And now we need to kind of take a look at what the opposite, the opposite of that is, and that's when kids have a really engaged dad, what does that look like? What does that mean for the kids? And we're going we're gonna to dig into this subject, and Bob, we'll start with you, Um just talk about the importance of a dad in our society, in a household, in the fabric of life for, for any person. Why, why is that dad connection so important? Mm, thanks, Matt. Well, I think uh, one of the facts that we've got to start with is it doesn't take much to become a dad. It's a biological act. I mean, honestly, but it takes a huge amount to be a good one. And uh, while moms are incredibly important, and every one of us are thankful for them, and any athlete or a well-known person who is honored, et cetera, and they're asked, would you have anything to say to anybody out there in viewer land? What do they say? Hi, mom. Rarely do they say, hey, dad. And uh, that's pretty much supported by even Mother's Day, Father's Day uh, in 2021, for Mother's Day, over $30 million was spent on gifts and cards and all that. Uh, it only hit $20 million for dads. Sorry, dads. That's uh, just the reality of life, okay? But while moms play such a key role, and while the hand that rocks the cradle does indeed rule the world, I, I would say to men, uh, my buddy, Dr. Ken Canfield, who started the Center for uh, Fathering in the United States, said whether you're a father, a grandfather, or a father figure. The truth is your influence and power is probably far greater than you would ever realize. You have the power to strengthen and to craft to the next generation or to destroy it. Wow, what, what a statement. So uh, Matt, when we look at what difference does an engaged an active participant dad make? Well, here's what some of the research shows. It shows that when that happens, there's significantly stronger development in the area of moral decision-making. Uh, there's also likely to be a lot stronger self-image and confidence in the child as they grow up. Uh, that dad plays a great role in the developing of the son's masculinity, but also the daughter's femininity by his engagement, support, uh, active participation. Uh, there's likely to be greater security in the child as they grow up in their social relationships. Research shows they have stronger verbal skills and academic skills. They tend to have fewer behavioral problems, not only at school, but at home. And they're likely to have increased mental dexterity, empathy with other people, and greater self-control. And when you look at a nation, uh, what is it that makes a free nation like America strong? 
it's not just the freedoms we have, it's the right and the responsibility of self-government. Because big government never works unless there's self-government of the individual. So think about that. When a dad is actively engaged and participating, not only is there greater mental dexterity, greater empathy with relationships, but there is greater self-control. Therefore, the whole nation is benefited when dads are engaged. All right, Bob, thanks so much for that brief explanation there as we start to dig into this. Ken, from your perspective, um, as we as the society continues to change, we've seen a lot of change over the society in the last, especially the last couple of years as we've dealt with yeah. a pandemic and everything. Um, where is this where is this dad, this need for dad resonating most as you see it right now? I believe that as God is father to us, uh, so should the father be to the sons of the earth. And God is calling us to a sense of correction, not punishment, but correction. And there are many people who fill up the pews of their church with uh, great rhetoric and, and uh, great puffing in terms of the punishment that God shall give others. Uh, God's going to push you down and keep you away and it's, it's a very negative thing, but God is calling us to a sense of correction. First, uh, a correction of uh, how we have treated uh, our uh, doctors and scientists as if they were God themselves. Uh, God's calling us to a correction that says, no, I have given them a gift uh, to perform, uh, not an expertise to punish you by. So vaccine mandates and maskings and things of that, lockdowns, which have been proven scientifically not to work, that's not the call for us to continue in a process that gets people disoriented with each other, unable to touch and to feel each other, to embrace, to hold each other. And so I think of the whole idea of correction that is the process by which is a necessary tool uh, for how a father treats a son. Many of us focus on punishment, uh, putting them in a corner, spanking them, things of that particular nature, yelling and screaming at a child. But when we think of the scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so I really believe in this particular day and era of fatherhood and sonhood that we need to begin focusing on correcting, instructing, rather than focusing on punishing. When we look at the Latin term disciplina uh, for, for discipline, it refers to instruction given, teaching, learning, knowledge. Literally, the object of instruction, knowledge, science, and even military discipline is a sense of teaching. And so what our children need more than ever, since they've gone through three years of listening to people tell them that they needed to do something that they need not do to get a result that they would never receive, they need a sense of correction, they need instruction, and they need teaching valid and pure as the scriptures. 
Bob, Ken's talking a little bit about the scriptures, and I know you've really dug into this and, and kind of what the Bible focuses on for the importance of fatherhood. And, and I mean, obviously, you've been studying that for a long time, and you still learn things as you open the Bible, I'm sure, every day. Uh, but talk a little bit about that focus and, and what it can do for a man that's trying to be a better dad. Oh, that's a great question, Matt. Uh, and to tie in with what Ken said, throughout the scripture, God's referred to as our father, as a heavenly father. Uh, Jesus referred to God being his father. And as he spoke of the kingdom of God, for instance, on the Sermon on the Mount, inarguably the greatest sermon ever given, he refers to God the Father, 17 times. Jesus spoke of God, his Father, over 125 times in the gospel, and he refers to him as our Father uh, some 30 times. If you go to the New Testament letters of the Apostle Paul, over 40 times, he would refer to our Heavenly Father or God our Father. So it is replete from beginning to end, that God's design in the home was to have a mother and a father, ideally both present and engaged in that process, and that both would bring aspects, strengths, uh, contributions that would help that child become the ideal and best they could possibly be in God's plan and creation for their life. When either one of those is missing or disengaged, there's a great, great problem. Dads, specifically in our focus and conversation, uh, when you're absent, when you're not engaged, when you are not really participating, wow. Or as Ken says, you're over-participating with uh, criticism, with uh, anger, with reaction rather than action there begins to be a breakdown in the family. And that was happening at the end of the Old Testament, Matt. In fact, the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And in chapter four, verses five and six, there would be 400 years of silence from God to his people before the New Testament would birth onto the scene. In that last chapter, chapter four, verses five and six, God says this, he said, and I will send my messenger, and he will turn the hearts of the father to his children, and the hearts of the children to their father, because there was already beginning to be a breakdown significantly in society at that time, and God was grieved and heartbroken by what he saw, and he knew what would happen when the father was not engaged in a culture and in a home, and the ramifications and the collateral damage that would occur as a result. And he said, if not, there will be a plague on the land. And I think we are, to Ken's point, uh, experiencing a uh, degree of plague on the land in our country because of the breakdown of the home, because of fathers, even if they're present, who may not be emotionally and uh, uh, uh encouragingly engaged as is really needed in that home. So Ken, this is, this is kind of a complicated thing. You, you've got a, a person you call the father, that's your God. You've also got a person in your life 
that was your father beforehand. And then you are trying to be a father to the next generation as well. Ken, where do we find the balance in all of that? It's a difficult balance because we have a perfect father and an imperfect one. Um, and I don't want my father to ever watch this podcast and, call, and listen to the fact that I called him imperfect because I'm glad you not. He was the absolute perfect father on the earth. I will never rise to his standard. Uh, but I say that in all jest. My father understood that he was imperfect. My father, uh, at one time, when he was angry with something that I did, would yell at me, scream at me, and punishingly speak in such a fashion to me that I didn't think I would ever become anything. In fact, he made that assertion prophetically. You're never going to be anything, son. And so I, I want people to know that we have a God who loves us so much that he couldn't possibly leave us apart from himself, but he found a way to bring us into connectivity with him. He does that through the Holy Spirit. He did that through his son at the cross and then uh, rising on the 50th day of Pentecost uh, into the heavens to be our priest, someone to go to God the Father on our behalf when we deserve absolute punishment. We deserve hell, and yet God loves us as if we are heaven. It's a difficult road to toe, per se, in terms of being a father and learning how to love your children when they're unlovable. Not that I ever was unlovable. I don't understand my father's positions, but, you know, uh, I thought I was the most lovable person on the face of the earth. I thought I deserved all good things. And it's in that kind of metric that you have to begin using God's love for your children and not necessarily the way you feel in the moment. In fact, psych psychiatrists and psychologists will tell you when you're at your midpoint of anger and hostility towards someone who has done harsh things towards you, you got to take a moment and calm down and think it through, which goes back to the whole idea of corrections. One of the things that my father would do in terms of punishment is that he would never do it in front of other people. Now, my father was harsh to me in public uh, and private, but in public, he glorified me. He thought of me as the most excellent son. You're wonderful. You're great. So we have to learn how to befit our chastisements of our children uh, in terms of public and private, learning how to encourage our children always publicly and when we need to chastise them, do it privately. The other thing that we need to focus on is to be sympathetic. I know my perfect father, no, not the one in heaven, my perfect father here on earth, it was never imperfect. I, I jest with that, but he knew he was imperfect. But we should never have a standard for our children that we don't have for ourselves. And so our correction to our children has to be sympathetic. It has to be pointed to the fact that we too have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They too will sin and fall short of the glory of God, but they don't lose their relationship with God because they sin. They lose their relationship with God because they do not know that they can be forgiven. One of the other things about this is that when you focus on correcting your children, that you focus on what the mistake was that you don't focus prophetically on what they will not be or what they will become or 
how they compare with others, focus on the mistake and let them know that the mistake doesn't separate them from you. The correction gives them the opportunity to get better. And finally, I just want to say that when you're doing the whole process of correcting your children, always remember that you should be open to correction too. You know, one of the most dangerous things about children is that they're always around you. <laughs> they are living memory stick. They are a living uh, video screen. They will tell you exactly your errors too. Be open to receiving the critique of the little one around you because they actually have been watching you a whole lot more than you can even ask or think. Ken, uh, Bob gave me a list of some qualities and there's, there's a ton of qualities that a good dad can have. Uh, but you're, you're nailing one of them that he gave me as, as one that we need to talk about today. And that is pathfinder and boundary maker. And just talk a little bit about how that, how, how your dad took that role in your life and, and how, how a dad can take that role, even if they haven't in the past, how they can step into that role and help their kids along. You know, one of the great things about my dad is that he knew that my gift was different from his gift from the moment I seemingly was born. Uh, my dad understood that I would never get on the roof and repair the roof. I, I would never be the one who would be fixing the car. I wouldn't know the difference between an alternator or the battery. Uh, my dad knew that unless it was in some book, uh, some uh, reading material, and he knew that my gift was an intellectual one. So my dad would go on to place me in a private school. And I rarely saw my dad often after that because he was working three or four jobs in a week. And I would be so upset that my dad couldn't spend time with me because I thought, you know, that was the thing. But my mom explained it to me. She explained that, son, you're going to be doing things in life that's completely different from your dad. And you're going to be going places in life that are completely different from your dad. And you're going to be meeting people in life that is completely what your dad isn't doing. So allow your dad to make the sacrifice today for your tomorrow. The whole idea of making a pathway for your children is not to try to frame them into the box that you are. You're not them and they're not you. But creating the pathway means that you set the boundaries for them, not only on what they cannot do, but also on what they can do. And the boundary of what they can do should always be measured by as much their ambition as their ability. In terms of what they can't do, it should always be done with the instruction of the scriptures, the Bible itself. And you should always make certain that they have a point of reference to. That's not just you, but the word of God itself. But greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. Bob, you heard Ken talk a little bit about it, and he's, he's just giving me these easy segues into these other qualities here. A loving spiritual leader in the home is, is such an important piece of the puzzle here. Talk a little bit about that. And, and again, how a dad who maybe hasn't reflected that in the past can start to do that. Well, I think uh, that issue of loving leader is really, really important because when you get to the point of the word leader itself in the scripture, 
The reality is you find it very, very few times. But when you look for the word servant, Mm. you find it hundreds of times. And so sometimes in our culture of Western uh, civilization especially, we get uh, business terms more focused than sometimes biblical terms. So the importance of being a leader that's loving is really found in how do I serve my child? And to tie in with what Ken just said, it's important for a dad to strive to know their child more than change their child, Mm. to be really focused on listening more than lecturing. And if you're going to be a loving dad, it's going to be important whether you experienced it or not as you were growing up, to reflect what your heavenly father does. And this is a real key point in keeping the balance that you were talking about earlier, Matt. Key to balancing being a dad is to first and primarily be sure, are you in a right relationship vertically with your heavenly father? Because I'll guarantee you, if that's not the case, being in a right relationship horizontally with your child or uh, son or daughter is going to be extremely difficult and challenging because the vertical part is missing and out of whack, which goes back to Ken's point of the correction point. So if there's a dad out there who's listening and you're not sure that you're sure that you're sure where you are with God and where you are in a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son that he gave for you, then a key point of starting to be able to become a loving dad is to make sure you're in a right relationship with a loving heavenly father first, because the more you are, the more that impact is going to flow through you and really impact the children that God is blessing you with. Now, I want to add a key point to what Kim said about uh, boundaries too, if I may. When you look at the scripture, from beginning to end, God has us experiencing boundaries that he establishes as our Heavenly Father. And it's so important to understand that boundaries are not primarily to keep us from something, to uh, hinder us from experiencing something. They are primarily there for our safety, our good, and our blessing. That's really the purpose of boundaries. When he said to Adam and Eve, I've given you everything in the garden, and you're free to enjoy every single part of it, except one thing. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you do in that day, you shall surely die. He wasn't keeping them from stuff. He was saying, all this I've given to you, and it is yours to enjoy to the fullest But the one thing I do set a boundary on is for your good, your safety, and your blessing. And I think that's an important point in making boundaries. We got to understand that uh, when we make boundaries, there are some things we ought to keep in mind. Um, Dr. John Townsend made some key points. He said, when you're a parent, you're setting boundaries. Uh, Remember about three things. Number one, remember that uh, you have a situation where you experienced boundaries. So remember, when you were a kid, you had to have them. 
Therefore, as you give them, remember what you learned from them. Number two, he said, what truths help you most when you experience those boundaries? And how did it help you face the world that you would grow up in? And then the last one, he said, think about what did I learn from the consequences of my actions when I crossed those boundaries? He said, all three of those are important as you as a parent now make the boundaries. Uh, I came across some guidelines the other day, and I'll close with this, that have been great help to me as I just walk through where I've been as a parent, now a grandparent. And that was when you're setting a boundary, remember to be able to clearly be able to express, I love you, and I'm on your side, and I want the best for you. Secondly, this boundary is a boundary that's important in our home, and then describe why. Thirdly, now you can choose to respect the boundary, or you can choose to reject the boundary. You're going to have that freedom of choice. But if it's rejected, just understand these are the consequences. When boundaries are set like that, that clarity breaks down a lot of friction and problems and baggage that are created in a lot of families because they aren't explained that clearly. And for the dad who says, like my dad sometimes did, well, you do it because I told you to do it. Mm -hmm. That really doesn't work real well as a boundary. <laughs> or you're a, you're a kid and you're meant to be seen and not heard. That doesn't build a lot of great affirmation. So if you're going to set boundaries, it's going to be important to set them well and correctly. I'm on your side. This boundary is meant to help you and protect you. It's important in our home, and here's why. But you're going to have the opportunity to respect it or reject it. If you do choose to reject it, here will be the consequences. And then when we as parents say the consequences, we really have to be willing to follow through on the consequences because when they break them and they hear us just say, you do that one more time and they know we're not serious. We don't mean what we say and we won't follow through. So they'll keep pushing the limits and by the way, pushing our buttons. <laughs> They're skilled at that. Uh, that, that, that is for certain. Uh, Ken, Bob used a two-word phrase here that I think kind of encapsulates part of the dad's jobs here, and that's coaching teacher. There is, mm -hmm. There's a lot in those two words. And, you know, when you first hear coaching, you think sports and you think, you know, trying to teach kids, but we're coaching life here. And this, is, this isn't a volunteer coaching job where one of the 15 dads has to step in and coach the little league team or something like that. This is your job as a dad. Exactly. Coaching is a very difficult thing. Uh, every year you have 28 football teams at the professional or 32, somewhere in that particular area, uh, professional football teams uh, that go at it every particular week. Uh, and only one at the end of the year ends up being the Super Bowl champion, the winning coach. But the unfortunate thing is that people parlay that Super Bowl coach to themselves. The thing is that you get to win every single day that you go out on the field and coach your child. 
And I'm not talking about on the football field. I'm talking about the field of life. You have the opportunity to change the lives of not only your child, but everyone else your child has to come into um, effect with. And so one of the things is that you must teach your children to not only hear you, but listen to you. And the heart of a father is towards the heart of his children. You can't just preach and yell and scream and think that your child is getting it. Coaching and teaching require, one, that you have goals established, two, that you have a vision for where they shall go, and three, that you give them missives or missions to achieve those particular things. It's the same thing with football. I mean, when the offensive line lines up, they don't go back and sack the quarterback. They're instructed to move forward and to keep the uh, enemy at bay or the defensive line at bay. The same thing with your child. You see, your child, if they're being the offensive line, is not going to score the touchdown. And they have to understand that they're not going to be the one to do that but they have to have the character necessary to carry out the objective giving them. Coaching is built on the framework of making certain that everybody wins, win-win formulas, but also that you have the right character in winning and losing. I'd rather have Lou Holtz coach me uh, than a coach who didn't want to spend time teaching me and building up my character. Character is what you object for, your objective is as a father. Winning the Super Bowl, your kid gets a Nobel Prize, who knows? But they may end up being a great father just like you. And Ken, kind of playing on that, you talk about good coaches, and good coaches are able to manage different personalities, different, different people in all their different situations. And, and likewise, a, a dad has to understand each child is unique. Bob, Bob says, we've got to talk about the wiring of each child and, and how each child is. And it can, it sounds like you were talking a little bit earlier that your parents did understand you're wired a little different than your dad. Uh, and they came to that conclusion, but that's a big piece of it. Your, your kid is not your clone. Uh, your kid yeah. is going to be its own unique individual that's a, that's a piece of you and and your wife and these are these are things that as a dad you have to cautiously approach and understand your child a little bit too it's not just bull for, bull rush forward with with what you think you know exactly you know i remember uh there was a time where my brother and i were going to two different high schools and we both came home one day and dad was sitting there in the chair reading his newspaper. And we were both excited because we had joined teams uh, at our school. And my, my brother, who was the youngest, went first and said, dad, I, I've joined the football team. Uh, they're going to let me play wide receiver. I'm going to be I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be great. And my dad was in passion. Oh, yeah, you're going to be strong. You're going to be great. I said, Dad, I joined the team, too. He said, oh, my God, I got two players in here. Oh, my God, what team did you join? I said, chess team. Uh, <laughs> yes, Dad, I joined the chess team. You know, understanding that your children are going to come from two 
or three or four different ways of life doesn't mean that they're not part of the kingdom of God. In fact, understanding that there are various gifts that work together in the kingdom of God, and each and every one of your children is responsible for moving forward the kingdom of God with their own gifts. So you have to be excited about your children and the successes that they have in life. That's part of coaching. They have to know that you're on their team, no matter what team it is, and that they can call upon you and that you will hear them. You will answer them. You will give them the love and the support that they need. Now, let me decipher one thing because there's someone probably listening today and they've had to deal with this in their household. Um, their son or daughter dealing with homosexuality or lesbianism or something of that particular nature. And they say, well, if you don't accept my way of life, then you don't love me. Now, this is why you should always use the scriptures as a viewpoint, 2 Timothy 3.16. The whole concept is that God saw us dead in our sins. And by that standard that you give, he did not use that standard. He said, I love you so much then I'm going to send my only begotten son. So in him, you might have the opportunity to be in relationship with me, not separated from me as well you deserve, but a part of me. And so in the sense of coaching, in the sense of loving your children, you got to love your children through all the mistakes that they're going to make. But you also got to find a way of pointing them back to the father, just as the Holy Spirit Points, G, points to Jesus and Jesus to the Father. You point them back to the Father. And in that love that you have for God, they will someday, someday understand the love that you have for them. Bob, I can't think of a better way to wrap it up as, as Ken leads us here. Another quality of a dad, a loving nurturer and encourager. Uh, just not necessarily the first things you think of when you think of a manly dad that's leading the household, but a really important piece for all kids. Mm. Um, Matt, I'd, I'd love to respond to that, but I, can I tie in just a minute with Absolutely. some things that Ken said? Sure. On, on coaching teaching, I want to, want to say to every dad, future dad, granddad, hopeful dad, uh, or dad who just wants to improve, I want to say to you guys, um, somebody or something is going to coach and teach your kids. You've got to make a choice. Is it going to be the TV? Is it going to be the internet? Is it going to be video games? Is it going to be dependent upon the school or the church to do the teaching, the coaching, or can it be you? Because you is the way that God ideally and primarily means for it to be. In uh, Joshua chapter 6, God would say to the men of Israel, we're going to build a memorial of stones about how we cross into the promised land. Because in the future, your children and grandchildren are going to ask, what do these stones mean? And dads and granddads, you're the ones who need to explain to them. This is what it means in our history. This is how God worked on our behalf. This is how we experience God's promises, provision, and protection. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said to the dads, talk to your children about the things of God when they're lying down at night, when they're rising up in the morning, when you're walking along the way. Boy, he just said to dads and granddads, you have a key role in coaching and teaching. Now, 
I know a lot of guys are going to say, but man, I am in the midst of work. I've got lots of demands, expectations, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, I cannot give them quantity time maybe, but I'll give them quality time. That's how I'll do that. Well, here's my question. If you went to a restaurant and you ordered a steak and you were hungry for steak with all your heart and it had been a long while until you had a steak, man, your saliva gans are, they're just bubbling over. You can't wait to bite into that incredible steak. And when it comes, they lay the plate in front of you and there's the baked potato and the asparagus, et cetera. And there's the steak and it's two inches by two inches and that's it. <laughs> and you look at the waiter and say, wait a minute, I ordered a steak and I'm hungry and I'm ravished. And this is all you gave me. What if he said to you or she said to you, oh, but it's a quality steak. <laughs> You're going to think, but where's the quantity? Dads, granddads, listen to me. It's not either or, it's both and. Find ways to build in the quantity when it can work in your schedule and always try to make it quality. To tie into what Kim said, understand your kids because they are very different. In our life, our first child was a girl. She was dominance personified. She was the strong-willed child. When she was born, she was smoking a cigar and said, who used to be in charge here? That was our daughter. Our son came into our life, and he was the peacemaker. He just wanted everybody to be happy and calm. And then our third was another daughter. She was the party waiting to happen. She couldn't follow through. She didn't do things organized and structured. But boy, give her people and a party atmosphere, and she was at her best. That's why Proverbs 22.6 says, parents. Raise your children in the way they should go. But in the Hebrew, what it says is raise your children according to their bent, meaning understand how they're wired, understand how they're made. Raise your child accordingly, and when they grow up, they will not depart from it. It literally says in the Hebrew, when, when they grow up, uh, God and, and his word and what they learn will ride on their shoulder. Wow. Isn't that interesting? When I take the time to understand each of my children better and really try to coach them, and they see me modeling what I hope they will ultimately do and become, and I just patiently love and guide and show them, here's what I want to you to see. Watch me as I do it. Now, I'm going to show you how to do it. Now you do it and I'll watch you. And now as you're doing it, I'm supporting, encouraging, and cheering you. Good coaches do all four of those things. They show you how to do it. They tell you what it would do and how you could do it and how you can do it successfully. Then they watch you as you begin to do it. And then they applaud you and encourage you as you start doing it yourself. So I would say that importance of coaching and loving in coaching and teaching is going to take some time. So find when it works in your life and when it works in your child's life. Understand how each child's wired 
And then know that it can't be just quality. It's also got to have some quantity to it. And when you do both and, it'll pay off dividends unbelievably in your future. And as you uh, lead, I, I would just pray as a dad that maybe you feel like I haven't been the leader I needed to be. I haven't shown the love I needed to show. I haven't been as patient as I needed to become. Then ask God to start changing that part in you. And if there's some places you've offended or hurt or wounded your child, be man enough to say to the child, I'm sorry. I made a mistake here. And I want to ask your forgiveness because I know I didn't do what I should have done or the way I should have done it, or I hurt your feelings or emotions. Be man enough to stand up and to admit. Talk about coaching and teaching. They'll learn more about forgiveness and grace by watching you model it than they'll ever learn by just hearing you teach it. So those are some things I would say to dads, uh, just that I've learned in the hard way from my own mistakes and failures. And I've uh, had people love me enough to come alongside me and help coach me as a dad or a uh, grandfather now. And that has been invaluable. Uh, Last word, if you're not sure how to be a dad, because I told Matt and Kim before we ever started today, the first baby I ever held was my own. And then I looked at that baby and said, now what? What do I do? And there was no owner's manual or instruction guide. Well, find a dad who's a bit ahead of you. And as you watch them, you think, gosh, they're doing this really well. I wish I knew how to do that. Then why don't you go ask them? You know, I admire as I watch you the way you're being a dad, would you mind just sort of guiding and helping uh, direct me to learn how to do it better in the way that you're doing it? Man, that can pay off in huge returns. If you're just willing to learn, if you're just willing to admit a need, and if you're willing to humble yourself enough to say, there's some things I don't know. But I bet I can learn. When I do, I'll be a much better dad than I may have been. Thanks so much, Bob. Ken, final thoughts from you as we get out of here. We've talked about a lot of things here today, and someone hearing this might go, oh my gosh, I can't do all this at the same time. I can't change everything at once like this. But it's really, the first step is the right step. Well, I'm telling you right now, I'm listening to all of this and I can't even measure up. <laughs> so <laughs> I just let you all know, there is no perfect human father, none whatsoever. And perfection is sometimes wasted upon those who waste their time thinking about it. There's already one perfecter and that's Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest things that you could do for your child is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Listen, the journey is hard for all of us. We're not perfect like God the Father. We're not all-knowing. We're not all-powerful. Weakness will come. Strengths will embolden us. Tears will fall. 
laughter will come as well. But the one thing that you need to be able to instruct your child is that there is someone greater than you that you are held accountable to. And that someone is Jesus Christ. So I say to you this particular day, without a shadow of a doubt, that one of the greatest things that you could ever teach your child is that you humbled yourself before God, that you didn't think so highly of yourself. You did not fall into your sins and stay there. You got up, you brush yourself off, you ask God's forgiveness, and you move forward. A God that so loves you that he gave you all eternity to be with him. If you don't know him, I'm going to tell you right now that one of the things that you should do is ask God to help you, lead you, guide you. The Holy Spirit will be with you. And in him, you will find Christ Jesus. And it's just as simple as merely saying, Lord, I've lived my life. I thought I was God, but I'm not. And I found you face to face. And Lord, I'm going to ask you to forgive me. And I know my weakness. I think I know it all, but I'm very weak. I don't. Can you teach me? Can you show me? And you know the great thing in Jeremiah 33, 3, God says, if you call, he will answer. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and then allow him to walk with you every single day of the way, not towards you being perfect, but you depending on a perfecter. It's an adventure being a dad, and there is definitely good and bad that goes along with it. But uh, you guys are helping not just me, but so many others as we learn more about this subject and we dig deeper into it. Bob, Ken, thank you both so much for your time here today, and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. We've got so many other subjects to cover in this field. Uh, we've, we've got a good adventure ahead of us together. So thank you both for your time here today. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Matt. All right. We will be back with another episode coming up soon. Thanks for joining us for the adventure of being a dad through the good and the bad.